Um, Let's start today by praying Psalm 91 together, which is on page 817 of your hymnal. Psalm 91. Pray this response. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. Surely he will save you from the fowler's snare and from the deadly pestilence. You will not fear the terror of night, nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that stalks in the darkness, nor the plague that destroys at midday. A thousand may fall at your side, ten thousand at your right hand, but it will not come near you. You will only observe with your eyes and see the punishment of the wicked. If you make the Most High your dwelling, even the Lord who is my refuge, then no harm will befall you, no disaster will come near your tent. For he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways, They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. You will tread upon the lion and the cobra. You will trample the great lion and the serpent. Because he loves me, says the Lord, I will rescue him. I will protect him, for he acknowledges my name. He will call upon me and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. With long life will I satisfy him and show him my salvation. Father, this morning we give you thanks and praise um, for this day. We thank you for the sunshine um, this morning and for um, what we hope is uh, spring um, coming um, to our land and um, just the the movement of the seasons. Father, we thank you um, for your faithfulness even in these things in the created world. We thank you for... um, this new day um, and the opportunity um, to rest and to worship together, um, to be with you in your house and your presence this morning. Um, It is um, the greatest sweetness, Father, of our lives, and we give you thanks for it. Um, Father, we pray that you would bless us now um, during this Sunday school hour, um, that we would um, continue to um, grow together as a church um, as we meditate upon your word and consider your character and who you are as you've revealed yourself in the person of your Son, Jesus Christ, we pray it in his name. Amen. Amen. Well, good morning. Let's see, James and Jeremy, can I have you help me with some papers? Thank you, sir. This morning we come to the end of our um, discussion of um, the book Gentle and Lowly um, by Dane Ortland. Um, Next week we will begin um, a new Sunday school class um, here in the sanctuary um, on, as I mentioned last week, the recent ad interim report of the General Assembly on uh, human sexuality um, that was published, I think in 2020. Um, was when it was released. Yeah, that's correct. Um, And um, it's a great document. It's a really rich and helpful document for the church, I think, and particularly focuses on not just the question of sexuality generally, but on the question of homosexuality in particular and how um, we ought to think scripturally um, about that topic, um, how we ought to think about um, ministry um, to those who struggle with um, homosexual attractions Um, how we think about um, even any of us, regardless of the nature of our sexual attractions, how we think about um, desire and sin and what what does it mean to live um, faithful lives and following Jesus as as sexual persons. 
And so that begins next week. That's what we'll be talking about, and um, I'm excited about that. Um, we have on order um, uh, a hardbound um, book that the PCA has published that includes some different papers on this, these topics, but particularly includes that General Assembly Study Committee report. It's about 60 pages in a PDF file, um, which I'll be sending out a link to that this week um, to you, to the congregation. Um, but also know that we'll have some hardbound copies um, that you can, that will be available hopefully for you by next Sunday um, to take home and, and have um, to study and to read um, as we move through that document together. And yeah, I think it's going to be really rich to talk about that together, to have discussion, but also just to, um, to really work through and learn um, and think scripturally and, and theologically um, about, about these topics. And we know, I know that this is something that's, you know, it's on our minds, it's in our culture, it's, it's part of our life at this point. And so it's something that we ought to talk about and consider together. Um, so that is um, a preview of what begins next week. Um, but today we want to conclude um, our time talking about um, gentle and lowly together. So I wanted to start just with this question. For those of you that um, were able to read the book um, by Dane Ortland, uh, Gentle and Lowly, even if you didn't finish it, that's okay. Um, but even if you read a part of it, um, which I hope that, you know, that many of you did at least that, I would just love just to take a minute to hear what you found most useful or helpful about that work. Um, um, what, did, what was helpful for you in reading um, Gentle and Lowly um, this past uh, couple months as we worked through it as a, as a Sunday school? Yeah, Mike. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, so Mike's saying um, one thing really helpful for him was this illustration that Dane used of of Christ the healer, essentially, um, being a doctor who has all the resources he needs to bring health and healing to those he ministers to. Yeah, right. procedure, the help, the, yep, the aid. Yeah, I think that's great. Absolutely. Yeah, and I think that is one of the things that Dane brings out really well is that um, the, the work of salvation um, that Christ accomplishes, the work of healing, um, is not foreign to his nature. It, it's who he is. And, and that analogy of, of even the, uh, you can think about a, a person who is, um, trained in medical school and, you know, gone through all the work that is necessary to become a doctor and has, you know, of course, when they see a, a, a ailing patient that they can help, they're, they're not annoyed by that. They're gladdened um, to use all of who they are um, to bring healing and help um, to the person in need. And, and I think that is a really helpful way for us to think of Christ, that this is the work of redemption that he accomplishes is who he is. It, it, it's not some sort of thing that he takes on um, without his desire being wrapped up in the accomplishment of those things. Yeah, and that's a yeah, that's helpful. I appreciate that. Who else wants to share something that you read or found that just generally in the book can be a general thing, can be a specific you know illustration or point like Mike just um, alluded to. What was most helpful for you, Donna? Right. Yeah. 
That's great. Yeah, so Donna's mentioning this illustration of um, that Dane uses, I think, to good effect um, of a, a parent walking into the deep end of a, or deeper part of a pool um, with their child holding on to their child and their child is, is holding on to them, but really the, the strength of the bond is the parent holding to the child, right? Um, and um, and uh, yeah, and that, that being a picture of how Christ, um, how we cling to him, but really he is um, the one making the attachment secure, so to speak. And I think that, that is a wonderful illustration because you can imagine that, you know, maybe even remember experiences as a child um, when you were in situations like that, you know, that the child thinks, oh, I better not let go because if I let go, I'll be in trouble, right? Like I better, um, like, I think it's easy for the child to imagine that it's their clinging to their parent that's making, keeping them safe. But in reality, as the parent, you know, well, it doesn't matter what you're going to do. Like, I'm going to, I'm going to keep holding on. I'm not going to let you slip. Um, and that's a, I think that is a great picture of, of our relationship to Christ and his, his strength, his commitment um, to us, and that it's not ultimately something that we, we accomplish in ourselves, or clinging to him. I like, that's great, Donna. I appreciate that. What else? We're just talking, if you just walked in, we're just talking, having an initial opening discussion as we conclude our study of Gentle and Lowly today, um, just sharing what was most helpful in the book um, as you, in your reading of it. Whether, it, whether it's a general principle or point or specific al- application or illustration or um, insight. Anyone else want to share? I'd love to hear your thoughts. Anybody? Yes, Trudy. Okay, perfect. Uh-huh. 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 That's great. I'm thrilled to hear that. Sure, sure, sure. No, no, absolutely. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, that's a great um, picture, Trudy, I think, that Trudy's saying the most helpful thing for her she takes away from the book is the way that um, Dane is able to paint a picture, a faithful picture of God leaning toward us rather than away. that that's his character, that's who he is. And that he's actually glorified um, in the forgiveness of our sins, not only our sins um, uh, before we came to Christ, but, but our sins all throughout our life, um, that he, he delights um, to forgive us. And yeah, his, his, that posture of leaning toward, I think, is an important one. Yeah, um, I think that's a, yeah. Yeah, I think, I think that kind of thing is, I think what we're talking about, this is where the book is helpful, um, very helpful, is that it, he really emphasizes that, that reality of who God is. Yep. Who else? Anyone else want to share? Yeah, James. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think I see the focus on the 
Right. Yeah. Yeah, I appreciate that, James. So James is making the point that one of the things the book does really help or did really help helpfully for him, and I think this is true just generally for all of us who read it, that Dane does a great job of really meditating in a sustained way on the humanity of Christ and what that actually means and is and um, that it actually is something we should consider deeply when we think about the person of Jesus and even the way in which in his humanity he reveals the heart of God. Um, that that's not a, you know, the humanity isn't some sort of barrier between him and the revelation of the person and character of the triune God, um, but actually becomes the, the means by which um, he he um, unfolds those things. And I, I really, this is, a little bit of a um, rabbit trail, but follow it for a second. I really think that um, when we think about Philippians 2, I would make the exegetical argument that the, the humility of Christ that is being commended um, in Philippians 2 um, by Paul is not so much having to do with his incarnation as a... Um, step in redemptive history and has much more to do with how Christ lived in his incarnation as a servant to others culminating in the death on the cross um, that that and I think this is an important thing for us to wrestle with that that for God to become man was not some sort of um, inherent like it was actually a it was a glorious thing um, I think and um, and I think you I think you see that in other parts of the scriptures too, um, Hebrews um, 2, um, Psalm 8, um, Psalm 110. I, I really think that, that we think sometimes, and I, th- I guess what I would say just in response to what you mentioned, James, I think that's really a good point. And I think that often the church has, as we wrestle to make sense of Jesus being divine and human at the same time, um, the easiest way for us to reconcile that, I think, that tension, that that mystery, um, is to resolve it in the, well, he wasn't really exactly human like me, way, right? Um, that he his his div- because he's divine, um, that makes him less than human, fully human. Um, I think, just generally speaking, the church has that's that's been the struggle. I think, even if you read historically, um, I think. Um, through Christian history, um, which makes sense. It's very hard for us to conceive of the incarnation and all, you know, all of those things. Um, yeah, and I think Dane does do a good job of, of thinking about, uh, I'd, like I said, I talked several weeks ago, but I think his use of that um, seminal essay by B.B. Warfield is really helpful, uh, the emotional life of our Lord, and um, really trying to take seriously the humanity of Christ. And yeah that his, his desires are, um, his human, uh, what we understand naturally in terms of the motions of the heart of a human person are full revelations of the divine character. Um, I think that is a really profound thing. And it, and it, and it speaks to us in a particular way, I think. Um, it reveals something about God um, that we can see more clearly without the, without the incarnation. For sure. Yeah, Jeremy.
Yeah, no, I think I think that's right, um, Jeremy. And and what I would say too is that I think that Jesus is always the one who reveals God. Uh, I think if you read the Old Testament in the ma manner in which the apostles read the Old Testament, um, you end up finding Jesus all over the place um, as the revelation of God, um, even in the Old Testament. Um, and so, yeah, I think th I think that's right. Um, that there is something about the person of the Son who is is it is it is part of his nature to reveal the Father fully, um, to make the Father known. That's right. And I, I, in so many ways, I think that's, if there's one thing you walk away, I mean, this is, I feel like, there's one, honestly, there's one thing you walk away from my ministry, however many years you spend under it. Um, certainly, if there's one thing you walk away with after reading Dane's book, I'm sure he would say, um, this, this reality that Jesus truly reveals the heart of God. Like that's, that's like a fundamental thing for me that I want you to hear in my ministry and preaching and care for you as your pastor. And I'm sure Dane would say the same thing about his book that he's offered to the world. Um, that, you know, just this, and I think it's something for us just to deeply wrestle with. Um, and this is why um, we can't ever, in some sense, I mean, we, we're always going to be drawn back to the Gospels as a church. Um, and that, that's where I want us to be again and again, is in the Gospels. It's part of why we have a Gospel reading every single Sunday, um, because we believe that in the Gospels we see, in a, the clearest way potentially, um, the person of God, because we see the person of Jesus. And there's a resonance between those, those things. A likeness. What else? Anyone else want to share? Anything? Yeah, Mary. Yeah, no doubt. Mm Yeah, yeah, I love that. Yeah, that's great. So Mary's making the point that, um, which I think all of us can easily um, appreciate, that that our relationship with our fathers, um, particularly perhaps in terms of relationships that we have in our lives, um, tend to influence our understanding of God and our sense of his character and who he is. Um, and that, yeah, that, that that Dane re helpfully wrestles with that, and and it's through it's through the person of Christ that our um, the the ways in which we have um, our view of God is lacking um, becomes renovated, becomes made new um, over the years of our life as we walk as a Christian through the scriptures, through the sacraments, through prayer, but certainly in all those things as they communicate the person of Jesus to us, um, as they 
our true means of grace. Jesus, in some sense, that's what his, he's doing, is he is, he is not only revealing the Father um, to humanity, but he is healing all the um, fallen notions and um, misperceptions and failures of imagination that exist within the human heart about the character of God um, for all sorts of different reasons. Um, I think that's exactly right. Yeah. Yeah, Jeremy. Um, I don't mean this facetiously, but I would say, I think I would begin by saying come to church um, and to sit under faithful preaching of the word to learn what it means. I think we, we can only learn the person of Christ in the context of the community that he's established to be the place where he is revealed um, after his ascension, you know? Um, and, and I agree, Jeremy, I think you're right. Like, and this is part of the wonderful strangeness of the Gospels is part of, for me, what gives them such richness and, um, and I'm sure for you too, vitality, even after decades of reading them, is that they always, in some way, you know, Jesus is always, he's still doing things that, you know, surprise me, um, even after all the years that I've spent reading the Gospels, you know? And, um, and so, yes. And Jesus, um, for the record, is not, you know, like he says that, right? He says, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to speak in parables um, so that not everyone will understand what I'm doing. Um, only those who have ears to hear who the Father uh, grants. Um, and uh, in some ways, Jesus' whole life, uh, that's indicative of Jesus' teaching, of course, specifically, but in really it's indicative of his whole life. His whole life is a kind of parable about the nature of God um, that can only be understood by those who are given the Spirit and the Father draws um, and whose eyes are open to see it, not as, you know, a foolish thing or a enigmatic thing or, you know what I mean, but as something that is truly the divine revelation, um, the wisdom of God, right, um, is revealed um, in the foolishness of the cross, as Paul says, and, um, and I think that is something deeply profoundly true, and, and to answer your question in terms of what I would do, I would generally, I mean genuinely what I would say is come to church, be a part of a community, worship, um, like these are the places, even the preaching of the word, and and I do believe that we, um, as believers today, we should remember that our, our confessional standards tell us that, um, that God, um, by his spirit, makes the reading, but especially the preaching of the word, um, effective um, for the converting of sinners and the building up of those who are in Christ. And, and so I really do believe that, that preaching is, is a primary instrument um, by which we learn the person of Christ. Um, and that, that's, you know, going to church for 40 or 50 years or however many years we hopefully get to, it's, it's, a, it's a tutelage, right? It's a, it's a school where we're learning about the person of Jesus through the means that God has appointed. And um, I mean, I could recommend some books or whatever to read, but that would be my, my main recommendation. <laughs> That uh, would be the context of the life of the church. Did you ever hand up Donovan? Or was I imagining that? I was imagining. Okay, great. That's fine. Yeah, Kim. Yeah. 
Yes. 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 Yeah, I think that's exactly right. So in case you didn't hear that, Kim said that, that one of Satan's goals is to, um, is to separate Jesus and, and the Father, Jesus and God from one another, um, that we would see them as not the same, as one. And uh, yeah, and Dane does a great job of pushing back against that. And, and along that point, it's really fascinating if you think about John, um, where Jesus is saying again and again, I and the Father are one. And the, the Jews, um, as John refers to them, respond by um, saying that he's a blasphemer. And if, if you remember, his response is, you're sons of the devil, um, which is really, fa- it is. I mean, I, and I think that's really interesting that he identifies, you know, they are pressing back at him on, the, the, on that point particularly that he and the Father are one and that he is the revelation of the Father and his response is to call them the sons of the devil. Um, I think that's a, yeah, that is a really interesting thing to think about. And in many ways, that's what, you know, that's what Satan has always been doing. That's what he was doing in the garden with Eve um, was to question the character of God, the nature of God. Did God really say, you know, maybe he's hiding something from you. Maybe there's a part of God that he's not disclosing um, and you need to, and that's essentially the argument Jesus is making is that there's no part of God that's hidden. All of it is on the table um, because you see it in me. Um, yeah. Somebody have a hand up? No? Okay. I thought I saw people. Would. Anything else? <laughs> yeah, you had to stop scratching yourself there, Donovan. <laughs> Throwing me off the corner of my eye. <laughs> Anybody else? Have any thoughts? Hey, third time is the charm. That's good. Yeah. Absolutely. Right. Sure. Yeah. Yes. Absolutely. I appreciate that, Donovan. Yes, absolutely would agree with that. Yeah, and that's certainly, I didn't mean to exclude that as part of the the reason why coming to church is the the way that we learn who Jesus is um, truly. Yeah, because it's it's not just the preaching of the word, certainly, but it's or the worship of the church, the formal life of the church, but it's the it's the it's the living in fellowship um, with brothers and sisters in Christ, um, by which yeah, the heart of God is revealed to us um, in a mysterious, and which is a holy calling that all of us bear, and we I'm convinced that most of us don't take ourselves half as seriously as we should um, because all of our lives are more consequential than we think. Yeah, right. Yeah, absolutely. That's right. All of us, yeah, we're charged because, yes, our lives become living testaments um, to all those around us, and we, we influence others far more than we think we do. Um, for good or for ill. And certainly we're called to be these little little Christs, right? Um, who reveal the Father to one another um, as Jesus reveals the Father to us. Um, that's, a, that's a fundamental part of who we're called to be.
That's where it's going to happen, yeah. <laughs> it's not going to happen in the middle of a field somewhere. <laughs> Yes, yes, yeah. It is, it is, yeah, it's, it's not going to happen quickly for us to really learn the heart of God. Um, even in a fine book like Dane's, it's not going to happen just in reading a, you know, a couple hours reading a book. Um, it's a, it, there's no, there's no um, replacement for years of abiding with Christ, um, years of, of suffering, years of obedience, years of confession and receiving forgiveness, years of all of those things, living in community, as Donovan was saying, with others who are, are slimmer, similarly walking with Jesus, years of learning to pray and to, to dwell with the Spirit in that way. James or Caleb, do one of you have something? Yes, that's right. Absolutely. Yeah, every week in our worship, God puts his name on you um, through your pastor um, in the blessing and the benediction. I mean, that's what, Aaron, that's what God says to Aaron in number six, right? You will put my name on the people. Um, and then in the Ten Commandments, he says, you shall not bear my name in vain. Um, and that's right. The, we are to bear that name um, in, with integrity. Uh, with wisdom, with faithfulness, um, because of the way in which it it reveals God to the world. Um, yeah, and and I think it's just it's so important to think about that. I mean, you know, sometimes this, you know, we really are like like as like obviously, I'm not talking about you're called to bear the name of God into the world. That means you're supposed to like leave, you know, um, tracks for your waitress or whatever. Um, um, you're meant to, it's about who you are as a person, right? Um, and certainly it includes explicit um, speech about Jesus, um, but it really means the kind of the character and quality of your life. Um, um, the faith that you maintain, the, um, the holiness that you pursue, um, the service that you render to others without expecting reward. Um, in all those ways, we bear the name of God out into the world for one another, for our neighbor. Yeah. Anything else? All right, this is great. It's a great discussion. I really am grateful for it. Um, I want to conclude by... I, um, I think this is worth talking about for a minute. Chapter 17, we didn't get to talk about this last week, and I kind of held it over. thought this was a helpful chapter. Chapter 17, on the back of your handout, I talk about, it's called His Ways Are Not Our Ways. I think this kind of fits with even some of what we've been talking about here. Um, and this is the chapter where Dane really interacts most with John Calvin, so I appreciate that. I would say Dane has not quite um, convinced me to become a, a deep aficionado of the Puritans. Um, 
maybe I'll get there. Um, but, but I'm still, I'm still, uh, I think, um, I, I just love the rigor of Calvin and the, um, pastoral heart, the, the theological mind. Um, so in this chapter, um, Dane says this, he says, there is nothing that troubles our consciences more, said John Calvin on this passage, Isaiah 55, than when we think that God is like ourselves. And I think that's a really fascinating quote from Calvin. There is nothing that troubles our consciences more than when we think that God is like ourselves, that God is like us, um, that God deals with me as I would deal with myself. Um, and I think that's, some ways that's like the heart of what we're talking about here, right? Um, is God like me? Is God like you or your neighbor or your father or your mother or um, whoever it might, you might put in that, um, that role? Or is he different? And in many ways, that's what Isaiah 55 is all about. And um, Dane interacts with it in this chapter. I think it's worth reading for a moment. Dane rightly makes the point that sometimes we, uh, you know, in the context of a really bewildering situation, uh, maybe involving suffering or difficulty or something that seems incomprehensible, we'll say, well, God's ways are not like our ways, right? Um, Y'all heard that expression, I'm sure. Um, Someone may have even, you know, said it to you (laughs) in the midst of your suffering which is probably not super helpful um, <laughs> if that happens. Um, but it's, Dane makes the point that that's not at all the context of what that, that statement is made about God in Isaiah 55. It's not about his, the mysteries of his providence um, and how we can't really understand what he's doing when, you know, when we suffer or whatever. Um, so here, here's what Isaiah 55 says. Remember, Isaiah 55 is in the latter part of Isaiah. It, it is part of the prophecy that Isaiah gives about events that have not even come close to happening in his lifetime, which is the, you know, not only the exile of Israel, but then the restor- or exile of Judah, but then the restoration of Judah, um, the return um, from exile, um, which is in itself, of course, going to be a picture of the return um, that Jesus will bring from exile. Um, in his kingdom initially and his preaching and preaching would then fulfill ultimately on the last day and the, the new um, heavens and new earth. So Isaiah 55, you know, 40 to 66 is really an extended reflection on all of that. So Isaiah 55 occurs in that context and um, it says, come everyone who thirsts, come to the waters and he who has no money, come buy and eat, come buy wilk, I'm sorry, by wine and milk without money and without price. Um, and this is the Lord speaking, to be clear. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me and eat what is good and delight yourselves in rich food. Incline your ear and come to me here that your soul may live and I will make with you an everlasting covenant. My steadfast, sure love for David. Behold, I made him a witness to the peoples, a leader and commander for the peoples. Behold, you shall call a nation that you do not know, and a nation that did not know you shall run to you because of the Lord your God and of the Holy One of Israel, for he has glorified you. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him, and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. For my thoughts, again the Lord is speaking here, are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord, declares Yahweh. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose 
and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. For you shall go out in joy and be led forth in peace. The mountains and the hills before you shall break forth into singing, and all the trees of the field shall clap their hands. Instead of the thorn shall come up the cypress, instead of the briar shall come up the myrtle, and it shall make a name for Yahweh, an everlasting sign that shall not be cut off. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. And I think Dane very rightly points out that it's in this context that of the Lord's immense compassion and grace and offer of forgiveness to all who return to him that he says, my ways are not your ways. My thoughts are not your thoughts. My ways are higher than your ways. My thoughts are higher than your thoughts. Um, that, that, that this is the way in which God is different from us in some ways most fundamentally. That he loves and is gracious in ways that are utterly foreign to us. Um, and that's what Isaiah is pointing out there. That's why he's using that phrase. That's what that phrase is really about, scripturally speaking, is about the heart of God and how it is different than the heart of man. Um, when we are wronged, what do we do? We revile, we complain, we think about revenge, we don't trust, we, all of those things, right? Um, and the Lord is saying, when I'm wronged, my ways are higher than your ways, my thoughts are higher than your thoughts, and I welcome um, those who return to me and give them grace and restore them. And remember, all this is happening in the, this prophecy is in the context of exile, right? The, 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 the apostasy of, of Jerusalem and the destruction of the temple and all of, you know, like heinous, like we're not just talking about people that were like, you know, sort of wandered off the path for a few minutes, like over hundreds of years, Israel fell into ruin spiritually um, and apostatized. And, and still the Lord is speaking this way about them and about his love for them, um, that he desires for their return. Um, Calvin quote is, he quotes um, from Calvin again, Dane does, and Calvin says on page 159, and this is, there's such wisdom here, and this is, this is why I love Calvin. Um, he says, men are wont to judge and measure God from themselves, for their hearts are moved by angry passions and are very difficult to be appeased. I think we're, we're honest, like that's, I mean, hopefully many of us are maturing in Christ and becoming more like God, um, and so we are not quite so difficult to be appeased when we're wronged. Um, but certainly I think we can all recognize in the flesh, this is who we naturally are at least, that we're, you know, if someone harms us, we're going to make them really prove it, you know, um, if we're going to let them off the hook, so to speak, um, or at least suffer a little bit. Um, we are very difficult to be appeased, and therefore they think, um, this is a normal a person, they think that they cannot be reconciled to God when once they have offended him, when they have once offended him. Because God is like them, is the impression we have. God's like me. That's how I treat people. That's how I treat those who hurt me. But the Lord shows that he is far from resembling men. God is infinitely compassionate and infinitely ready to forgive so that it ought to be absorbed exclusively to our unbelief if we do not obtain pardon from him. Um, and I, I just, I think that's a profound statement about um, who the Lord is, that he is not like us. Um, he's not like any God that we could have made. Um, all the gods of the nation are made in their own image. Um, it's one of the primary critiques that the prophets make of idolatry. Um, the God of Israel, the God, um, the living God revealed in Jesus Christ is a God unlike us, um, which is part of why we know and can be confident of his, the veracity of his character and who he is. Uh, no man could have written the Gospels. Yes, ma'am. Yes, sir. One last thing. We'll close. You're fine.
Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, the, the parables are constantly doing that sort of thing. Revealing the, the surprising, non-intuitive nature of God, right? Um, you know, which of you if, who has a flock of sheep, if one goes off, will not leave the 99 to find the one? And, you know, all the shepherds are like, nope, that's not, you know, that's pretty good you just lose one <laughs> um yeah that i appreciate that jeremy i think jesus is doing that a lot in the parables he's he's uh helping us see the father uh, by surprising us with these strange stories of who god is and then he sums it all up by dying on a cross and rising from the dead all right let's stand and pray and forgiving his enemies as he does it. Father in heaven, we thank you for um, the way in which your son Jesus Christ indeed reveals um, your heart to us um, fully, completely, without um, holding anything back. Um, Father, we thank you. And we pray, I pray for all of us, Lord. I know that, that learning these things, um, learning your heart, your character, your person is not something that we um, can do in a moment. It requires a lifetime. Um, it requires years of abiding with Jesus and dwelling with him and word and sacrament and prayer and in the context of the life of your people. And I pray for that for each of us, Father, um, that we would grow in our knowledge and our understanding of who you are um, through the person of Jesus. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen.